This article by Tom Hartman describes how the Republicans have used a two Santa Clauses tactic to con America, but he should also mention that the Democrats and the Republicans have worked together to use this tactic. This scam has been killing wages and enriching billionaires for decades. It has a public aspect and it has a secret aspect. And once you hear what Tom is saying and scratch your head a little and wrap your mind around it, it will stagger you at how well it has worked. And it will reveal that a lot of what looks like ineptitude is actually cold calculation. After you digest his argument, there should be no doubt in your mind that the Republicans and the Democrats have worked together over 40 years to rip us off. And it makes perfect sense that they're in cahoots because they're all working for the same owners. And if we can make this two Santa Clauses tactic more visible to regular people, the frogs may decide to jump out of the pot sooner rather than later. So let's dive in. The GOP used a two Santa Clauses tactic to con America for nearly 40 years by Tom Hartman. On March 6th, 1976, Jude Waniski said, the only thing wrong with the U.S. economy is the failure of the Republican Party to play Santa Claus. The Republican Party has been running a long con on America since Reagan's inauguration, and somehow our nation's media has missed it, even though it was announced in the Wall Street Journal in the 1970s, and the GOP has clung tenaciously to it ever since. Gee, I wonder how they managed to miss it. In fact, Republican strategist Jude Waniski's 1974 Two Santa Clauses theory has been the main reason why the GOP has succeeded in producing our last two Republican presidents, Bush and Trump, despite losing the popular vote both times. It's also why Reagan's economy seemed to be good. Here's how it works, laid out in simple summary. First, when Republicans control the federal government, and particularly the White House, they spend money like a drunken sailor and run up the U.S. debt as far and fast as possible. This produces three results. It stimulates the economy, thus making people think that the GOP can produce a good economy. It raises the debt dramatically, and it makes people think that Republicans are the tax cut Santa Claus. This is me talking. What it also shows is that the GOP has understood MMT all along. They know that they can cut taxes and the Fed can still print enough new money, can spend enough new money into existence to keep the military industrial complex going or anything else they want to keep going. Taxes don't fund anything. We keep saying it over and over. The only people who haven't been in on the MMT secret are the people. Back to the story. Second, when a Democrat is in the White House, the Republicans scream about the national debt as loudly and frantically as possible, freaking out about how our children will have to pay for it, and we have to cut spending to solve the crisis. This will force the Democrats in power to cut their own social safety net programs, thus shooting their welfare of the American people Santa Claus. Think back to Ronald Reagan, who more than tripled the U.S. debt from a mere $800 billion to $2.6 trillion in his eight years. That spending produced a massive stimulus to the economy and the biggest non-wartime increase in the debt in history. Nary a peep from Republicans about that 218% increase in our debt. They were just fine with it. And then along came Bill Clinton 
the screams and squeals from the GOP about the unsustainable debt of nearly $3 trillion were loud, constant, and echoed incessantly by media from CBS to NPR. Newt Gingrich rode the wave of unsustainable debt hysteria into power as the GOP took control of the House for the first time, lasting more than a term since 1930, even though the increase in our national debt under Clinton was only about 37%. This is me talking. This next paragraph is a sketchy explanation of what happened because Tom tries to blame it all on the GOP. The GOP debt freakout was so widely and effectively amplified by the media that Clinton himself bought into it and began to cut spending, taking the axe to numerous welfare programs. It's the end of welfare as we know it, he famously said, and the era of big government is over. This is me again. Let's get this straight. This isn't because Clinton was feeling pressure it's because he wanted to do it all along. The GOP provided cover for Clinton and the media provided cover for Clinton to do what he wanted to do anyway. The self-described New Democrat wanted to cut Social Security too. The only thing that stopped him was the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And you'll just get more of this with Biden or with Kamala after she takes over from Biden. The permanent state has had this figured out all along. The permanent state consists of Republicans and Democrats working together to screw us. So Tom, anybody who tries to spin this and make it all the GOP's fault has his head up his ass. I don't think we'll get Tom to pull his head out, but hopefully we can get a few voters to pull their heads out. Back to the story. Clinton also did something no Republican has done in our lifetimes. He supported several balanced budgets and handed a budget surplus to George W. Bush. When George W. Bush was given the White House by the Supreme Court, Gore won the popular vote by over a half million votes, he reverted to Reagan's strategy and again nearly doubled the national debt, adding a trillion dollars in borrowed money to pay for his tax cut for GOP funding billionaires and tossing in two unfunded wars for good measure which also added, at least, long-term, another five to seven trillion dollars to the debt. There was not a peep about the debt from any high-profile in-the-know Republicans then. In fact, Dick Cheney famously said, essentially ratifying Winiski's strategy, Reagan proved deficits don't matter. We won the midterms because of those tax cuts. This is our due. Bush and Cheney raised the debt by 86% to over $10 trillion, although the war debt wasn't put on the books until Obama entered office. This is me again. This bookkeeping is really tricky how it works. Bush and Cheney knew. Clinton and Obama knew. Stephanie Kelton, the MMT expert, knows this too. Deficits don't matter. Every time you hear this from a Republican or from a Democrat, every time you hear hey, we have to balance the budget. All they really mean is, hey, we have to screw the American workers. Then comes Democratic President Barack Obama and suddenly the GOP, doing their part, playing their part in this play, is hysterical about the debt again. So much so that they convince a sitting Democratic president to propose a cut to Social Security, the chained CPI. Obama nearly shot the Democrats' biggest Santa Claus program, and Republican squeals notwithstanding, 
Obama only raised the debt by 34%. And again, this is me, Obama was in on the deal. Obama knew what part he was supposed to play in this charade. The oligarchs hand-groomed Obama to carry their water. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he played his part beautifully. Back to the story. Now we're back to a Republican president, and once again, deficits be damned. Between their tax cut and the nearly trillion-dollar spending increase passed on February 8th, in the first year and a month of Trump's administration, they've spent more stimulating the economy and driving up debt by more than $2 trillion when you include interest than the entire Obama presidency. So even though Trump is supposedly an outsider, he knows what he's supposed to do as well. Whether he likes it or not, Trump is just as much in the pocket of the deep state as Obama was, and as Clinton was, and as Bush was, and as Reagan was, and as even Jimmy Carter was. Back to the story. Consider the amazing story of where this strategy came from and how the GOP has successfully kept their strategy from getting into the news. Even generally well-informed writers for media like The Times and The Post and producers, pundits, and reporters for TV news don't know the history of what's been happening right in front of us all for 37 years. Oh, for Christ's sake, Tom. You know that they know what's going on. Just look at the Bernie blackout. One of the most effective strategies of the propaganda machine isn't what they report, it's what they don't report. As if you didn't know this, Tom. Back to the story. Republican strategist Jude Winiski first proposed his two Santa Clauses strategy in 1974 when Richard Nixon resigned in disgrace and the future of the Republican Party was so dim that books and articles were widely suggesting the GOP was about to go the way of the Whigs. There was genuine despair across the party, particularly when Jerry Ford began stumbling as he climbed the steps to Air Force One and couldn't even beat an unknown peanut farmer from rural Georgia for the presidency. Winiski was tired of the GOP failing to win elections, and he reasoned it was happening because the Democrats had been viewed since the New Deal as the Santa Claus Party, taking care of people's needs and the general welfare, while the GOP, opposing everything from Social Security to Medicare to unemployment insurance, was widely seen as the party of Scrooge. This is me again. I don't think the Democrats, at least not the oligarch-funded Democrats, liked it any better than the Republicans did. I don't even think FDR liked it. I think the only reason FDR went along with it is because of how active the Communist Party was and the two Socialist Parties were, and the fact that the Bolshevik Revolution had happened in his lifetime. Joe Biden worked his entire career to get rid of Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. To me, it's obvious that the Democrats were in on this strategy as well, and they just wanted the Republicans to provide cover for them, who would provide cover back again to the Democrats, who would then provide cover back again to the Republicans, and we have this beautiful back-and-forth swooshing motion that swooshes all the money up from the people into the pockets of the oligarchs who are paying for the Democrats and the Republicans to do their nefarious work. Back to the story. The Democrats, he noted, got to play Santa Claus when they passed out Social Security and unemployment checks, both programs of the New Deal, as well as when their big government projects like roads, bridges, and highways were built, giving a healthy union paycheck to construction workers and making our country shine. 
But again, this is me. They were forced to do that. The people forced them to do that. Strong unions forced them to do that. Leftist political parties forced them to do that. The Democrats haven't wanted to be a Santa Claus party any more than the Republicans have wanted to. So when Bill Clinton came along openly saying that he was a new Democrat, he was separating himself from the people who had been kind to the American workers. The old Democrats are the ones who seemed to want to be the Santa Claus, and the new Democrats, they don't give a fuck about that. Back to the story. Democrats kept raising taxes on businesses and rich people to pay for things which didn't seem to have much effect at all on working people. But of course we remember that raising taxes on businesses and rich people doesn't actually pay for things. Wages were steadily going up, in fact. And that added to the perception that the Democrats were a party of Robin Hoods taking from the rich to fund programs for the poor and the working class. Americans loved the Democrats back then, and every time Republicans railed against these programs, they lost elections. Winiski decided that the GOP had to become a Santa Claus party too, but because the Republicans hated the idea of helping working people, they had to figure out a way to convince people that they too could have the Santa spirit. But what? And even though it's hard to understand, now comes the truly brilliant part of this plan. Tax cuts, said Winiski. To make this work, the Republicans would first have to turn the classical world of economics, which had operated on a simple demand-driven equation for 7,000 years, on its head. Everybody understood that demand, aka wages, drove economies because working people spent most of their money in the marketplace, producing demand for factory output and services. In 1974, Winiski invented a new phrase, supply-side economics, and suggested that the reason economies grew wasn't because people had money and wanted to buy things with it, but instead because things were available for sale, thus tantalizing people to part with their money. The more things there were, he said, the faster the economy would grow. And the more money we gave rich people and their corporations via tax cuts, the more stuff they generously produce for us to think about buying. At a glance, this move by the Republicans seems irrational, cynical, and counterproductive. It certainly defies classic understandings of economics, but if you consider Jude Winiski's playbook, it makes complete sense. To help, Arthur Laffer took that equation a step further with his famous napkin scribble. Not only was supply-side a rational concept, Laffer suggested, but as taxes went down, revenue to the government would go up. Neither concept made any sense, and time has proven both to be colossal idiocies, but together they offered the Republican Party a way out of the wilderness. Ronald Reagan was the first national Republican politician to fully embrace the two Santa Clauses strategy. He said straight out that if he could cut taxes on rich people and businesses, those tax cuts would cause them to take their surplus money and build factories, and that the more stuff there was supplying the economy, the faster it would grow. George Herbert Walker Bush, like most Republicans in 1980 who hadn't read Winiski's piece in the Wall Street Journal, was horrified. 
Ronald Reagan was suggesting voodoo economics, said Bush in the primary campaign, and Winiski's supply side and Lapper's tax cut theories would throw the nation into such deep debt that he believed we'd ultimately crash into another Republican Great Depression. But Winiski had been doing his homework on how to sell voodoo supply side economics. In 1976, he rolled out to the hard-right insiders in the Republican Party his two Santa Clauses theory, which would enable the Republicans to take power in America for the next 40 years. What Tom isn't saying here is what I think should be obvious. I think he rolled this out to insiders in both parties, and they both embraced it. I think it's pretty obvious that Joe Biden was in on this. So no, the Republican Party didn't take over. The oligarchs took over with this beautiful scheme. The Republican Party has simply been the bad cop to the Democrats' good cop, and they're both beating us with their nightsticks. The only difference is that the Republicans beat us when the lights are on, and then after the light switch clicks off, then the Democrats, they start to beat us in the dark. We can't see what they're doing, but they're breaking our bones every bit as much as the Republican Party is. Back to the story. Democrats, he said, had been able to be Santa Clauses by giving people things from the largesse of the federal government. From food stamps to new schools to sending a man to the moon, the people loved the toys the Democrats brought every year. Republicans could do that too, the theory went. Spending would actually increase without negative repercussions. That's MMT again. Plus, Republicans could be double Santa Clauses by cutting people's taxes. For working people, it would only be a small token, a few hundred dollars a year on average, but would be heavily marketed. Marketed by whom? By the pundits that also are on the take. That was me. And for the rich, which wasn't to be discussed in public, it would amount to hundreds of billions of dollars in tax cuts. So this is me. They give a few hundred dollars to the people and billions of dollars to the wealthy and they heavily publicize what they're giving to the workers, and they don't discuss at all in public what they're doing for the billionaires. And of course, the oligarch media, the corporate media, are in on all this, and they keep their mouths shut too. Both the Democratic press and the Republican press keep quiet. The rich, Reagan, Bush, and Trump told us, would then use that money to import or build more stuff to market, thus stimulating the economy and making average working people richer, right? And of course, they'd pass some of that money back to the GOP, like the Kochs giving Paul Ryan $500,000 right after he passed the last tax cut that gave them billions. There was no way, Winiski said, that the Democrats could ever win again. They'd be forced into the role of Santa killers by raising taxes or anti-Santas by cutting spending. Either one would lose them elections. When Reagan rolled out supply-side economics in the early 80s, dramatically cutting taxes while exploding spending, there was a moment when it seemed to Winiski and Laffer that all was lost. The budget deficit exploded and the country fell into a deep recession, the worst since the Great Depression, and Republicans nationwide held their collective breath. But David Stockman came up with a great new theory about what was going on. They were starving the beast of government by running up such huge deficits that Democrats would never, ever in the future be able to talk again about national health care or improving Social Security. 
And this so pleased Alan Greenspan, the Fed chairman, that he opened the spigots of the Fed, dropping interest rates and buying government bonds, producing a nice, healthy goose to the economy. Greenspan further counseled Reagan to dramatically increase taxes on people earning under $37,800 a year by doubling the Social Security FICA payroll tax and then let the government borrow those newfound hundreds of billions of dollars off the books to make the deficit look better than it was. Reagan, Greenspan, Winiski, and Laffer took the federal budget deficit from under a trillion dollars in 1980 to almost three trillion by 1988, and back then a dollar could buy far more than it buys today. They and George H.W. Bush ran up more debt in eight years than every president in history, from George Washington to Jimmy Carter, combined. Surely this would both starve the beast and force the Democrats to make the politically suicidal move of becoming deficit hawks. And that's just how it turned out. Bill Clinton, who had run on an FDR-like platform of a new covenant with the American people that would strengthen the institutions of the New Deal, strengthen labor, and institute a national health care system, found himself in a box. No, Tom, he wasn't in a box. Bill Clinton, just like Barack Obama, ran on a platform of hope and change, but they neither one of them had any idea of bringing that change to bear. They were both con artists, they were both shysters, they were both in on the take. This double Santa Claus deal was not a secret to them. They absolutely were in on it, and they played their part just as well as the Republicans did. And Joe Biden is doing exactly the same thing now with the full backing of Barack Obama, Bill and Hillary Clinton, and the rest of the machine. So no, he wasn't in a box. He just pretended to be in a box, and then he ended up doing exactly what he wanted to do as a new Democrat. Sorry, American people, the Republicans forced my hand. I guess I can't have a new covenant with you. I guess I can't strengthen labor or institute a national health care system. I guess we just can't do that now. We, we can't afford it. Now, the next part of the story is what Putin told us happened with Obama. It's the same thing again. A few weeks before his inauguration, Alan Greenspan and Robert Rubin sat Clinton down and told him the facts of life. He was going to have to raise taxes and cut the size of government. Clinton took their advice to heart, raised taxes, balanced the budget, and cut numerous programs, declaring an end to welfare as we know it, and in his second inaugural address, an end to the era of big government. Yeah, those guys talked him into it. That's just what happened. I'm sure he didn't want to do that. They talked him into it. Yeah. Clinton was the anti-Santa Claus, and the result was an explosion of Republican wins across the country as Republican politicians campaigned on a platform of supply-side tax cuts and pork-rich spending increases. State after state turned red, and the Republican Party rose to take over, ultimately, every single lever of power in the federal government, from the Supreme Court to the White House. Looking at the wreckage of the Democratic Party all around Clinton by 1999, Winiski wrote a gloating memo that said, in part, We, of course, should be indebted to Art Laffer for all time for his curve, but as the primary political theoretician of the supply-side camp, I began arguing for the two Santa Claus theory in 1974. 
If the Democrats are going to play Santa Claus by promoting more spending, the Republicans can never beat them by promoting less spending. They have to promise tax cuts. And I'll add here, this is where the Democrats stopped caring if they lost. Because the Democrats are in on it. They know that by losing, they also screw the American worker. Clinton and Obama were in on it as much as any Republican, and they've been working just as diligently to screw us all over. Ed Crane, then president of the Koch-funded Libertarian Cato Institute, noted in a memo that year, when Jack Kemp, Newt Gingrich, Vin Weber, Connie Mack, and the rest discovered Jude Winiski and Art Laffer, they thought they'd died and gone to heaven. In supply-side economics, they found a philosophy that gave them a free pass out of the debate over the proper role of government. Just cut taxes and grow the economy. Government will shrink as a percentage of GDP, even if you don't cut spending. That's why you rarely, if ever, heard Kemp or Gingrich call for spending cuts, much less the elimination of programs and departments. Two Santa Clauses had gone mainstream. Never again would Republicans worry about the debt or deficit when they were in office, and they knew well how to scream hysterically about it as soon as Democrats took power. George W. Bush embraced the two Santa Claus theory with gusto, ramming through huge tax cuts, particularly a cut to the capital gains tax rate on people like himself who made their principal income from sitting around the mailbox waiting for their dividend or capital gains checks to arrive and blew out federal spending. Bush, with his wars, even outspent Reagan, which nobody had ever thought would again be possible. And it all seemed to be going so well, just as it did in the early 1920s when a series of three consecutive Republican presidents cut income taxes on the uber-rich from over 70% to under 30%. In 1929, pretty much everybody realized that instead of building factories with all that extra money, the rich had been pouring it into the stock market, inflating a bubble that, like an inexorable law of nature, would have to burst. But the people who remembered that lesson were mostly all dead by 2005 when Jude Winiski died and George Gilder celebrated the Reagan-Bush supply-side created bubble economies in a Wall Street Journal eulogy. Jude's charismatic focus on the tax on capital gains redeemed the fiscal policies of four administrations. Unbound by zero-sum economics, Jude forged the golden gift of a profound and passionate argument that the establishments of the mold must finally give way to the powers of the mind. He audaciously defied all the buffeteers of the trade gap, the moldy figs of the Phillips curve, the chic traders in money and principle, even the stultifying pillows of the Nobel Prize. In reality, his tax cuts did what they have always done over the past 100 years. They initiated a bubble economy that would let the very rich skim the cream off the top just before the ceiling crashed in on working people, just like today. The Republicans got what they wanted from Winiski's work. They held power for 30 years, made themselves trillions of dollars, and cut organized labor's representation in the workplace from around 25% when Reagan came into office to around six of the non-governmental workforce today. Over time, and without raising the cap, Social Security will face an easily solved crisis, and the GOP's plan is to force Democrats to become the anti-Santa yet again. 
If the GOP-controlled Congress continues to refuse to require rich people to pay into Social Security, any income over $128,000 is Social Security tax-free, either benefits will be cut or the retirement age will have to be raised to over 70. The GOP plan is to use this unnecessary manufactured crisis as an opening to reform Social Security, translated, cut, and privatize thus forcing Democrats to become the Social Security anti-Santa a different way. When this happens, Democrats must remember Jude Winiski and accept neither the cut to disability payments nor the entree to Social Security reform. They must demand the cap be raised, as Bernie Sanders proposed and the Democratic Party adopted in its 2016 platform. And hopefully, some of our media will begin to call the GOP out on the two Santa Clauses program. Yeah, hold your breath for that. It's about time that Americans realize the details of the scam that's been killing wages and enriching billionaires for nearly four decades. While I wish that Tom had included MMT in his discussion in this 2018 article, I really understand now why he didn't. Because Tom Hartman is in on this too. The way he spun this, it makes it all the GOP's fault. So all we have to do is get the pundits who are paid for by the oligarchs, and the Democrats, who are paid for by the oligarchs, to see reason, and then we'll be fine. We'll come out of the woods together. But Tom Hartman has no more interest in helping working-class people than any of the people he's writing about. He is simply perpetuating this scam of good cop, bad cop. Just go back and look at his title. He has a picture of Ronald Reagan, deservedly so, and the title, the GOP used the two Santa Clauses tactic to con America for nearly 40 years. What he doesn't reveal, which he surely must know, is that the Democrats were surely cut in on this deal from the very beginning. Bill Clinton only pretended to be in a box, and that's the part we have to always remember when we're trying to figure out how to fix this. Unlike Bernie Sanders, who believes that you can infiltrate the Democrats from the inside and fix them, that's never fucking going to happen. The Democrats are in on the deal. They're never going to let somebody like Bernie take them over. And they're never going to give progressive voters even a sniff of the power that they've been amassing. What we've seen clearly is that the left flank of voters and of the party will never be allowed to share power. So what we have to remember is what gave us power in the first place, back in the FDR era. What gave us power was powerful unions, and powerful leftist political parties. We should also mention that in 1968, riots with copious property damage gave us the Civil Rights Act. We aren't going to get anything through the political process. We can't redeem the Democratic Party. And unlike what happened in the FDR era, where FDR made a deal with the oligarchs that kept them in power, but just had them sharing a little bit, we need to take the oligarchs completely out of power. We need to separate the billionaires from their billions, and we need to put in place a new system that keeps billionaires from propagating ever again. We don't need billionaires. We need a system that keeps billionaires and monopolies out. Tom Hartman won't tell you that any more than Jennifer Rubin will tell you that. They're all either snarling wolves or smiling foxes, as Malcolm X described them. Neither one of them gives an actual fuck about the American worker.